Welcome. This is week number five in our series that we're calling Seven, based on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Uh, before we jump into the message uh, today, a couple things that I want to mention. First of all, we're coming off an incredible week. Our kids' blast week just concluded uh, yesterday. We had over 80 kids that attended over the three weeks, uh, um, three days rather. It seemed like three weeks for those that were working it, uh, but uh, just absolutely a fantastic time uh, that we had uh, and, and all the kids had and a huge thing thanks to all the volunteers. We had close to 70 people that volunteered to make that happen. And so uh, we just want to tell you, if you volunteered and worked it, and even on our online campus in Poughkeepsie, uh, thank you so much. You made a major impact in the lives uh, of those kids uh, this week. And so huge, huge uh, thank you to Pastor Karen Johnson uh, and and all those that volunteered. Also, uh, real excited to mention, uh, in terms of just informing the whole church family, we have a new member of our our staff that I want to just introduce to you. His name's Randy Hood. Uh, Randy uh, and his wife, Andrea, have actually been uh, a part of our church for about nine months now. Uh, Randy has a pretty extensive background in ministry, and Randy is going to be serving as our campus director here at our Hopewell campus. And so if you see Randy Hood, just welcome him uh, to the team here. Real excited about over eight years of uh, pastoral and ministry experience, and is going to be a great asset and a real help to me. Uh, Now we have two people, Pastor Stephen in Poughkeepsie uh, and and Randy here uh, that can really just oversee both of those campuses. And I can just do what uh, hopefully I do best, and that's provide leadership and vision in the preaching uh, and and not have to sweat all the little details as much. So uh, welcome, Randy, to the staff. Well, we are uh, continuing this series, and uh, during our time together, we want to talk about uh, the fifth church that Jesus addresses, and that is the church of Sardis. So if you have your Valley app, go ahead and open that. Uh, This is pretty interesting. Uh, Sardis, we're going to call that the the sleeping church. Uh, And so none of you sleep while I'm talking right now, or I'll I'll hit that, see I did that, and you just woke up like that. So uh, we don't want to be like Sardis, the sleeping church. But a quick review right here. Uh, We talked about uh, in the church of Ephesus, Jesus addresses these seven churches. The first church, Ephesus, was was the forgetful church. Their heart had grown cold toward God and their love. Then Smyrna, the suffering church. Then Pergamos, the compromising church. Thyatira was last, last week. That was the tolerant church. I'm glad to see some folks decided to come back to church after that one. Uh, this message is going to be a lot different, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, but Jesus has some real strong things to say to the church of Sardis, but in a kind of uh, a different way. And, and what we're going to come up against with Jesus talking to the church of Sardis is this reputation versus reality reputation versus reality how many of you ever like uh, before you met someone maybe a friend that you had in common they told you man I can't wait for you to meet this person it's so great and they just go on and on and on they're this they're this this, and it's like wow I can't wait and you meet the person and it just they don't live up to the hype. You know what I'm saying? Has that ever happened before? Uh, I've actually had the opportunity a couple of times to meet some real famous people, and uh, I've been severely disappointed most of the time. Uh, uh, I, I met, uh, actually, a number of years ago, 2011, my pastor actually got me a ticket and three other pastors that I'm friends with to go to the Masters. And we got to not only be there at the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, but meet some of the golfers. Uh, one of the guys, I'm not going to mention his name, he's really one of the top golfers in the world right now. I was so disappointed. He was just a, like a punk. He was a really, really punk. And Sergio, I mean, anyway, uh, but, but I really didn't like him at all when, when, I, when I met him at all. But I'll tell you one person that I did meet that, that not only lived up to the hype, but exceeded it. And I didn't even realize I was going to meet him. Uh, and that was John Maxwell. Uh, some of you know John Maxwell. He's one of the top leadership uh, gurus, coaches in the world, uh, was a pastor for 25 years, learned leadership as a pastor at Skyline Church in San Diego. And uh, and now like the top, top companies in the entire world have him come in to train and talk about leadership and all that. And I was at a conference, a pastor's conference, 18,000 pastors uh, there with a couple of my friends. And uh, he spoke. It was just really phenomenal. I've read every book of his that I can get my hands on. And uh, we were leaving. We're walking out to go get some lunch. And, and we looked. And there he is walking in the parking lot to get in his Jag. And, uh, and we're like, hey, John, how you doing? You know, we're screaming like, I don't know, it's about 100 yards away. And you know what he did? He put his key in his pocket 
And he walked all the way across the parking lot to where we were. And he said, where are you guys from? And he just engaged us in conversation for about 15 minutes. And we were, we were kind of like, uh, blah, 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 you know, like starstruck or something. But, but really, I mean, all this stuff that he talks about leadership, he lives it. There's no reason we would never have expected him to walk across the parking lot. But, but he lived up to the hype. In, in other words, reality matched reputation. But, but the, too many times, reputation doesn't really match reality. And, and this can be really, really awful when it happens, you know, if you're meeting someone, a friend, or something like that. But this is absolutely tragic when you see this in a church. That a church has a reputation, we're going to see Sardis had that reputation, for things that happened years and years and years ago. But the reality is, Instead of being more of a ministry or a movement, the church was a museum. And Jesus has some, some real stinging things to say to the church of Sardis. Let's look at it. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I'll unpack this in just a minute. God says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wow. All the other churches, Jesus kind of says, like, this is really good. You do this, uh, but, but this is something that, that's really a problem. But to Sardis, he just cuts right through it. He, he says, first of all, he identifies himself uh, as, as the one who holds the seven spirits of God. I thought there was only one Holy Spirit. What in the world is he talking about here? The seven spirits of God. I'll unpack that in just a second, but, but, but for the time now, he goes, I know your works. I know the reality, he says. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Can you imagine this for a minute? The level of deception in the church. He, he doesn't deny the fact that they've done a lot of great stuff, but he says, you think you're alive, and God, I'm God, I say you're dead. There's no life in you at all. This is a real problem, to say the least. I've heard it put this way before. Spiritual ministries often go through four stages. First, it's a man that God uses, a, a person raises up a leader, a man, and then it becomes a movement. And then the third stage is it becomes a machine, and then it becomes a museum. Sardis was at the museum stage, but there was still hope. And Jesus is speaking to this church and saying, there's still hope, but you're going to have to change. You're going to have to change. But let me, let me just share some reality about churches in America, because this is, this is like my business, and, and if you're an investor, you know, or, or uh, you know, uh, make computer chips, you know what, your business, you know what it's all about, right? This, this is my business. Church is kind of like my thing, you know? Let me share with you some statistics you may not be aware of, talking about the reputation versus the reality. Did you know right now in the United States, every year, 3,500 churches close their doors every year? That's the reality, not the reputation. We have this reputation, we're like a Christian nation. The reality is not at all, not even close. 3,500 churches close every single year. That means 300 churches every month close in the United States. 300 every month. 60 churches every week close their doors for the last time in the United States of America. Here's more of the reality. 80% of churches in North America have plateaued or are declining in number, 80%. There's only 20% of churches that are actually growing in the United States, 20%. That's what normal is. That's what the average is, 80% are in decline or actually uh, plateaued or in decline. But let me tell you this, Valley family, you are not average and you're not normal. In fact, you're abnormal. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know you're abnormal? You are, a, you're abnormal. You're abnormal because you're part of the Valley family. I, I wanna share with you like this, uh, you're part of something that, that really the Holy Spirit is doing and it's something that, that he's doing and we are so blown away by this. Let me show you the reality of Valley Christian Church. 
Since January 1st in Valley Christian Church, 154 people have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Since January 1st, 154 people. Now, I know it's, I know it's Thursday night, but I think we ought to clap about that because that's just crazy. 154. Let, let me put that in perspective for just a minute. When I became the pastor of this church, we had 125 people on Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, 154. Now, as big as that number is, let me just throw this out there so you understand. That's just since January 1st. If you include one other week besides January 1st, just going back to Christmas Eve, that's another 60 people on top of this. That's 214 people have received Jesus Christ as their Savior since our Christmas Eve services to today. Just mind-blowing. We are abnormal. And this is in New York. We're no longer praying for revival. We're seeing revival happen right here. And, and the reality is what God is doing here is absolutely phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. Of the churches that 20% that have grown, the, the average growth rate on an annual basis is like 4%. Right now, Valley Christian Church is experiencing 16% growth over where we were this time last year. Crazy. And we just kind of like, hmm, that's nice. And don't realize how absolutely mind-blowing it is what God is doing right underneath our nose. But here's the reality as well. We could become just like Sardis if we don't listen to what Jesus is saying. The same exact thing that happened because there was a time when the church of Sardis was a vibrant church. There was a time when it really had, you know, God was moving through that church. But that's not the case when Jesus addresses it in the book of Revelation here in Revelation chapter three. And so as I unpack the, the, the passage here, as Jesus speaks to Sardis, I, I, I wanna share with you so that we can be aware and we can be on guard of this, six signs of a dead or a dying church. Six signs of a dead or a dying church. Six uh, indicators that a church is dead or that is dying. Because not only are we gonna see this in what's happening to Sardis, but we're also gonna see, this is the reality of what's happening to those 3,500 churches every single year in the United States. These six signs, these six characteristics or warning signs, if you will, of a church that's dead or it's on its way to dying. Here's the first one, the spirit has left the building. The spirit has left the building. See, when we share that number, 154 people have received Christ, that's not because of me, that's not because of the staff, that's not because of the, the church app, that's not the website, that's none of those things. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only God can draw someone to himself and, and someone become reborn and put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no greater miracle than a person being born again. That is the greatest miracle known to man. Someone's life changes from an eternity separated from God to an eternity that's gonna be spent with him. That's the greatest miracle that there is. There was a time, and we'll get to this in just a minute, there was a time that the disciples came to Jesus and, and uh, they were traveling. Jesus had sent them out and the disciples came to him and they said, Lord, we actually cast out demons in your name. We said in the name of Jesus and they were gone. And Jesus said to them, don't glory in these things. Don't glory in these things, but you glory that your name is written in the book of life. You glory that, that you know who your savior is. And I think that's one of the problems sometimes that, that we don't realize what the Holy Spirit is doing right underneath our noses. The Spirit has left the building. This is what Jesus said in Revelation chapter three, verse one. Let's look at it again. It says, and to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I thought there was only one spirit. Let me, let me help you here. One of the ways that we interpret scripture, and one of the most important ways, when you come across something, particularly in a, in a prophetic book or like a book of Revelation, an allegory, you interpret scripture by scripture. 
So, so in other words, we don't listen to what does Dr. Superduck say is talking about here, but, but is there anything else in the Bible that would talk about seven spirits? Where is Jesus getting this? Well, first of all, go back and you see in Revelation chapter one that, that John describes a picture of Jesus and one of those in every single one of these seven churches that Jesus speaks to, he pulls out one piece of that image. He pulled out the sword he, and he said, I'm the one with the sword. Uh, last week it was, I'm the burning eye. My eyes are like fire. That goes back to John, uh, Revelation chapter one, John's vision. Here he says, I'm the one who holds the seven stars and the seven spirits. This is what Jesus is alluding to. He's like, I am holding the Holy Spirit and you don't have it. You don't have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has left the building. What you're doing, you're, you're doing church apart from God's Spirit. And this happens all over the world, all over our country. Church services go on and there's nothing of the Holy Spirit's presence in the place. Absolutely nothing. Do you know last year, again, that number, 154, and we're just absolutely blown away by that, salvations this year. Do you know last year, half the churches in the United States, not one salvation. Not one. Not one. When this is the whole mission of the church that we're not a cruise ship. That's, that's not what the church is supposed to be. We're a rescue ship, rescuing people, returning people back to a relationship with our heavenly father through Jesus Christ. He says, the words of him who has the seven spirits. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 11, verse two. In the Old Testament, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and he speaks about seven aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Look at what he says here, count them with me. G the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, speaking of Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might and knowledge and fear. Seven, right there. The number seven in scripture means completion, totality. It's a complete number. It means that there's nothing lacking in it. That's why when I played quarterback at John Jay High School, I wore number seven. Because as a quarterback, I wanted to throw completions. And I thought, that's a good Bible number, so I'm getting number seven. It's hanging up in my office uh, right now. And so seven, it means a whole lot of things. In the scripture, it means completion, totality. But here in Isaiah... We see that God speaks and says the Holy Spirit has seven functions, seven roles, seven ways that he works. And Jesus is saying, I hold the seven spirits. In other words, he's saying, I know what the Holy Spirit does and none of that's happening in your church, Sardis. Gulp. None of it. The Spirit has left the building. Here's the second sign of a dead or dying church. There's no passion for prayer. There's no passion for prayer. A prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless church is a powerless church because God flows through and gives power to those that humble themselves before him and pray. Now, now here's one thing I'm committed to. Our prayer doesn't need to be showy. Our, our prayer is not to impress people. But there's so much prayer that goes on in our church. And we don't shine the spotlight on it and, 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 and try to get praised by people with prayer. People pray all the time. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been aware of people that come when no one else is here and pray over every single seat in this auditorium. That when you sat down, you would feel the presence of God. Prayer going on constantly. Prayer at the end of our gatherings, at the end of our service. When I say, is there anything on your heart to come and, and, and if you want to receive prayer? Boy, this came to, just, just hit me like a ton of bricks this past Thanksgiving. We had baby dedications on Sunday after Thanksgiving. There was a little girl that I, I took in my arms. One of those children, I blessed her hit me like a ton of bricks because her mom and her dad have been trying for years and years and years to get pregnant tried 
all kinds of medical procedures, spent tons and tons of money, so frustration, so, so heartbroken, many, many miscarriages. And then one day they asked Susie and I, can you pray for us? We don't have any more money to spend. We've got no other options left. We said, sure, we'll pray. We just prayed for them. We were in a small group, and the whole group, we just prayed for them. Nine months later, their little baby girl was born with no help from medical science whatsoever. Power. It wasn't me. It wasn't Susie. That was God. Only God can do that. Powerful. There's no passion for prayer in a church that's dead. I heard just recently, there was a man in our church just a couple weeks ago, and for over two weeks, he was having almost debilitating headaches. Could hardly do anything. And he came after, after the service was over, he came forward, and he asked someone that was standing here, one of these leaders, and said, would you pray for me? And, and they prayed. Headache instantly gone. Hadn't had any problem since. That's God. That's the power of God. That's prayer. Only God can do that. We're, we're, we're gearing up right now for the fall. It's going to be an incredible fall in the life of our church. Generally, we, we have 21 days or 40 days of prayer at the beginning of the year, but there's some big things in store for us this fall. So, so we've been holding on to that till the fall comes. But where we all get, get on the same page, 21 days or 40 days, I'm still praying about how many to do because it, 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 it takes a toll. But, but targeted prayer, so we're praying together as a church. We've done that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days over the years. But in a church that's dying or dead, there's no passion for prayer. Zechariah chapter four, verse six puts it this way. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. That, that again, he's holding those seven spirits, uh, the, the Holy Spirit, those seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and where the Spirit is, there's, there's people of prayer. And God releases his power, power to salvation, power of healing, power of restored marriages, power of hearts that have been broken, that are restored and healed again. That's power. And it comes through prayer third sign of a dead or a dying church is no ear for the truth. They have no ear for the truth. They don't really want to hear the truth. It's just kind of a feel-good preaching is what they're looking for. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, the Bible says the time will come when people will not listen to sound doctrine, to the teachings of Christ. That's what sound doctrine is, the teachings of Scripture. But will follow their own desires and will collect for themselves more uh, and more teachers who will tell them what they're itching, uh, what are itching to uh, the ear. In other words, what they, just tell them what they want to hear. They'll, they'll collect teachers that'll tell them what they want to hear. Not what God wants to say, but what they want to hear. What's, what's really itching to the ear. And it goes on and it says, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will give their attention to legends. That, that in the last days, the Bible says, people are not going to want to hear the truth. And they'll collect teachers that'll tell them what they want to hear but not the reality of what God actually says. And what's going to happen is going to cause them to turn away from God. He's not talking here about people that don't know God. He's talking about people that actually knew God at one time will turn away from him because they want to hear only what they want to hear. But only it is that, that makes them feel good. See, here's the thing. At the heart of Christianity is Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you and for me on the cross. The message of Christianity is not a feel-good message. The message of Christianity is a message of self-sacrifice and self-denial. That's the heart of the Christian message. Not God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. How to prosper here six ways. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ is whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus said, will gain eternal life. That's the gospel. 
They'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll give their attention to legends. I've heard it put this way before and I believe it's true and this is what I really aim at every single weekend as I'm, as I'm preparing and studying is this. The goal of good preaching is this. Spirit-filled preaching, if you will, is this. To comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. That's the goal. That's what I'm aiming at every single week, to comfort the disturbed. If you come in and you're disturbed, my, my prayer is, uh, God, let me bring comfort. But if you all laid back Jack and everything's smooth and easy, maybe you need to be a little, feel a little uncomfortable. That's the goal of preaching. And in the last week, some of y'all could, you know, having a hard time sitting still. It was just very uncomfortable for many people. In fact, one of our friends, they, they texted us uh, Thursday night and they were like, what's going on? I was like, what do you mean? Mom had to work. Daughter was here and she was texting like, Mom, I'm feeling very uncomfortable with the sermon tonight. You know, like, good. That's good. Needed that. But they'll fall away. Fourth sign of a dead or a dying church is this tolerance of sin. We talked about this last week. That There's a difference between acceptance and approval. Tolerance of sin Look at what Jesus says in the next verse, Revelation chapter three, verse two. He says, wake up, wake up. He's like, this is a wake up call, Sardis. You're, 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 you're spiraling down, you're, you're dead. You think you're alive. You think you've got it going on as a church. And he goes, but from my perspective, which is the only one that counts, Jesus says, you're dead. There's no life in you. He says, you tolerate sin says, wake up, strengthen what remains uh, and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. And I know that word repent is not a popular word. The only problem is it's all over the Bible. And Jesus talked about it constantly, and he talks about it in each one of these messages, these letters to the seven churches. Repent. He goes, remember, remember how it was at the beginning. Get back to that. Hold fast to the truth and repent. Repent starts, repentance starts in the heart. Eventually, it'll show up in the hands. This is so much of the American church is all about what we do with our hands, but the heart's not engaged and the heart's not changed. We can do all kinds of good stuff, but if the motivation is not right before God from our heart, it's wrong. It's wrong. And if we're not regularly recognizing the Christian life, let me put it this way, is a life of repentance. I don't know, but every day I repent. Every, every, every day I end up repenting. Every day there's something that I'm just going about doing my thing and I just feel the Holy Spirit like, Greg, that was wrong. That attitude, that thought, that was wrong. I'm like, God, forgive me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to think like that. I don't want to say things like that. I don't want to have feelings and attitudes like that in my heart. God, I, I repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn around 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction. In other words, if you were going up the New York State Thruway, if you're going north towards Albany on the New York State Thruway, what does repentance mean? That you exit and you start heading south. That's what repent, that's what the Bible word repentance means, to literally turn around and go in the opposite direction from the sin direction that you're going in. Let me ask you a question. What do you need to repent of today? What is it that, maybe it's not that you've done, but it's something that God spoke to you that you, he wanted you to do that you didn't do, that you left undone. Maybe it was that thing that he spoke to you, you know, when you made that New Year's resolution, and now it's July, and you just knew back in January God was telling you to do that. But now it's July. Repent. God, I'm sorry. I know you were speaking to me back then. I'm going to start again. Doing what you told me to do. Doing what you spoke to me to do. 
repent. What is the Holy Spirit pointing out in your heart right now, even as we're talking about repentance? Yep, that's it right there. No, not that, right there, that right there, yep. Jesus is saying, repent. There's still, you're about to, it's, it's, you don't realize it's winding down. Hold on to what remains. Remember, hold on, strengthen what remains. And repent. The fifth sign of a dying or a dead church is this, divisions and factions and fighting. This kills so many churches. I've heard so many churches that have totally split because they couldn't agree on what color carpeting to buy. Things of absolutely no consequence whatsoever. Or, or, or what, what color to paint the walls in the youth room. Split a church wide open. Divisions, faction, and just fighting kills churches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. Paul speaking to the church of Corinth by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God speaking through him. For you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. And you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? He's like, you're not being controlled by the Spirit. That, that's your sinful nature that's ruling over you. Aren't you living like people of the world? It's a rhetorical question. Paul's saying, is there no difference between you and someone who doesn't know Christ? There's supposed to be. That there's supposed to be a real difference. When Jesus said, we're to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. That's a contrast. But instead, divisions and factions and fighting. Quarreling Christians kill churches. Quarreling Christians kill churches. Just, just absolutely kill churches. Because it's possible, and the Bible talks about it, it's possible to actually, and this is just crazy when you think about it, to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That the, the, the Holy Spirit says, that hurts me. And I'm not going to bless what's happening there. Serious. 3,500 churches a year, folks. 3,500 churches a year close in our nation today. And here's the sixth sign, and a dead church or dying church. They stop taking risks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just decided, you know what, we just want to play it safe. We just want to hold on to what we have. Hold on to the folks we have and forget the mission is to go and to make disciples. Not to hang on, not, not to, like I said, it's not a cruise ship, like let's entertain the people that we have. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I've taught you. Matthew chapter 28, the great commission it's referred to, Jesus said. And he goes, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the, in, even to the, end of the age. Stop taking risks for the gospel's sake. The next verse, Revelation chapter three, verse three, it says, but if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief you will not know at what time I come to you. Jesus is saying here, if you don't wake up, Church of Sardis, I'm going to come back for my people and you're going to sleep right through it. They thought they were spiritually alive. And Jesus says, you're spiritually dead. You're playing church, but you're not a church. 
This is sobering. This is shocking. It should knock us back on our heels. The words of Jesus here. He says, wake up. Wake up. Because they've stopped taking risks. And I'll tell you this as your pastor. (laughs) What I'm committed to personally and leading this church, we are never going to stop taking risks. We're not going to do it. We are going to continue on the adventure that God has given to us, and we're going to take step after step of faith, and we're going to try to reach as many people as we humanly can, possibly can, with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm committed to. That's what I'm committed to. And so even right now, shh, don't tell anyone. We're working behind the scenes at starting our third campus in Cortland Manor right now. We're coming to Westchester. Tell them we're coming. Westchester, we're coming for you. Valley Christian Church is coming for you. Because we're not going to say, okay, that when, when can we ever look Jesus in the eye and say, that's enough. That's enough. So, so there's 1,500 people that call this church our home. So what, do you know how many tens of thousands in this community and how many more hundreds of thousands in Westchester? Have we done enough? I, I don't think we have. As long as someone is still gonna spend eternity separated from Jesus, I, I, I can't just put my head on the pillow and say, that's okay with me, I'm fine with that. But Sardis, stop taking risks. That's good. We're fine right there. That's, that, that's all right. We'll just kind of hang on until Jesus returns. And he says, wake up. Because you're totally unprepared. And I'm going to come like a thief. And you're not even going to know about it. So we're working hard behind that. Signed a contract literally this week on our permanent facility in Poughkeepsie. We are so geeked up about that. And over the next year, it's just going to be absolutely crazy what God's going to continue to do in and through the Valley family. You'll be hearing more about it. I see some of you looking at, where's that? Where's that? Yeah, I'll be showing you pictures and all that stuff real soon. But we're, we are so thrilled about that. But, but you know what? Permanent sight in Poughkeepsie, that's not enough. Because there's still people. We, we get calls. We get emails from Westchester. Please come and start a campus here. Please, would you please come and start a campus here? That breaks my heart. Absolutely breaks my heart. And you know what? Once we start a campus in Cortland, Cortland Manor there, two, three years, as I've talked about and I've shared with the whole church in sermons past, when that reaches campus viability, we'll move that into a permanent site, and then we're going to go to another spot. And we're just going to keep as many campuses as we need to reach as many people as we possibly can with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Because I don't want to fall asleep at the wheel. When Christians fall asleep, bad things happen. And Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Look at the next verse. It says, Revelation 3, 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. He's like, it's talking about sin. What is it? Purity again. He's like, you've got a few people, just a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. What is white? White is a picture of purity. Do do you realize what Jesus is saying here? Now you're wondering. Now you know why I wore those white pants. So uh, Jesus is saying, those who walk with me, Jesus says, this is how I see those who walk with me. white, pure, holy. That's why I wore this Hawaiian shirt, so it's loud and proud. And, and th- this is, and this recognizes the chaos and sin. Do you realize that when you receive Jesus, I'm going to try to walk with this. Do you realize when, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior in that moment, this is how God sees you at that point? Perfect. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That God took our unrighteousness off and put it on Jesus and took his pure holiness and he puts it on us. And the rest of the Christian life is working underneath the hood, changing this stuff. But this is how God sees you in that instant. 
This is the process of sanctification. God's working under the hood to change us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. But in that moment of salvation, when we're born again, Jesus is like, that's how I see him, just like that. Pure as white. Pure as snow. And Jesus says, they will walk with me dressed in white. Pure without sin. That's why we have to repent because every time we do that, every time we fall short, every time we live below what God's will and his desire is for us, it keeps this messed up stuff underneath the hood in our lives. And Jesus is like, come on, Greg, you're better than that. Come on, Greg, I gave you my spirit. Come on, Greg, I gave you my grace. Walk in my grace and let the inside grow up your character to match that outside, that white, perfectly white. He says, there's a few. There's not a lot in Sardis. He goes, there's a few, though. They haven't sold their clothes. They haven't compromised. They're not tolerating sin. But they'll walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And now it really gets tough. Jesus says in the next verse, verse five of Revelation chapter three to the church of Sardis, but to the one who is victorious, in other words, the one who continues, the one who follows through, not the one who prayed a prayer back in 1986 and has lived like the devil ever since, but to the one who is victorious, the one who overcomes, to the one who is victorious, like them will be dressed in white, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. What? Some translations here says not blot out, it says I will never erase their name from the book of life. This is scary what Jesus is talking about here. This is very, very scary but I will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. And he goes on and he says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's go back for just a minute to the previous slide if we could. And let me unpack this a little bit. He says, the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. To the one who endures, we hear this over and over throughout the book of Revelation, to the one who endures to the end, to the one who overcomes, to the one who is victorious, to the one who continues on, to the one who holds on. It's not a moment in time, it's a lifestyle. It's a relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ every day. To the one who is victorious, they will be like them, dressed in white, and I will never blot their name, blot the name of that person from the book of life. What is the book of life? It's interesting, in the New Testament, it's mentioned eight times. Paul mentions it in Philippians chapter four, verse three. Also, Jesus talks about the book that names are written in. I referenced that a minute ago, and he said, don't rejoice that you cast out demons. Re rejoice that your name's written in the book. It's also a reference to it, a ninth reference, Luke chapter 10, verse 20. I, I don't pretend to know everything that this means. But, but what I do understand is this. We should, Jesus' words here should really give us a moment to pause and reflect on how we're living and, and, and if indeed we're walking with Jesus Christ today. Are we living victoriously or are we living defeated? Are we overcome? Are we overcoming or are we overwhelmed? Because Jesus says here, and I don't have time to run through all of it because there's so much in the New Testament that talks about this, that it is very, very possible for a person to taste of all the good things of God, to even experience the Holy Spirit in their life, and then to drift away from God. That is just a scary thought. And so I ask you tonight, are you growing in your relationship with Jesus? I, I don't want anyone under my watch 
who once had a name written in the book that made all the difference, the book of life. One day Jesus has to take an eraser to it. Is your passion for Jesus growing today? Are there areas of your spiritual life where you're just going through the motions like the church of Sardis was, but it's empty? Do you really care about Jesus and about his people? And let me ask you this. Would you really care if Valley Christian Church closed its doors this week? I love God's word because it just, it just comes right to where we are. I would like to think if we closed our doors for the last time this week and ceased to be a church, there would be a big hole in this community. I'd like to believe that. If I've built what God wanted me to build here during the time that I'm here, this will far outlive my lifespan on this place, on this planet. I don't want this church to be one generation, two generation church. I want this church to be here doing the work of Jesus Christ if it's another thousand years before Christ returns. That's what I'm after. And I want everyone in the hearing of my voice right now be with me in eternity because that's what I'm shooting for we can't fall asleep we can't ever just just say well that's good enough we've always got to press forward we've got to be more committed to our future than we have been our past Pursue what God is saying right now, here today. And to go after that with everything we possibly can. And I believe that'll put a smile on God's face. Day after day. Week after week, year after year. I want to be a part of a movement, not a museum. I want to be a part of something that's growing and changing and is alive. I don't want to be a part of something that's already dead and you might as well just throw a shovel of dirt on it. We're just dressing up and playing games. I don't want to be a part of that. And I believe you don't want to be a part of that either. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just as Jesus said, as we've read the words, he who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, Lord, we hear. We hear what you're saying to us as a church family. We hear what you're saying to us as individuals. Father, I just pray right now that we would be quick to repent of anything and everything that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now in this moment and even in the the moments, the days, the weeks, the months to come, that we'd be people of repentance. Lord, that we, we would never hear that indictment that Jesus made against Sardis. You think you're alive, but you're really dead. Lord, may we be alive with your Spirit May, may we be alive and respond when you speak to us and obey. May we be alive, Lord. Be people of prayer, people of repentance, people who take risks and steps of faith, knowing and believing and trusting in you. Father, we ask you to continue to guide us on this journey that you have us on. May we preserve the bond of peace that there's no divisions or factions or fighting in our church family. May we truly be one even as you and your son and your Holy Spirit are one. 
Hear our prayer, Lord. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask every person here, just in this moment of reflection, do you know with confidence that your name is written in that book of life? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's what gets your name written in that book. It's through him, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Maybe you say, Greg, what, what do I do? Well, the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Realizing that Jesus, he took your place. He took your punishment. He took my place in punishment. He sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for my sins and to pay for your sins. And just as I illustrated with that white robe, that's what we receive, that forgiveness from God because of what Jesus has done. We'll never be good enough to earn it or deserve it. It's a free gift from God. And so right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer if you've never prayed and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and turn from your sin and ask Him to be the Lord of your life. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus' sacrifice today for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I'm going to turn around and live the life you created me for. And I pray that you'd guide me and direct me and be the Lord of my life every day. And I look forward to my relationship growing with you stronger every day as you guide me. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.